some days on the church calendar just make sense. Christmas Eve, who doesn't want to start celebrating a few hours early? Thanksgiving, who doesn't like an excuse for a feast and to be thankful? Easter, celebrating the greatest news the world's ever known. Jesus is alive! Good Friday can seem a little depressing in comparison. So why do we celebrate Good Friday when we have Easter, when we know how the story ends? Do we need to really stop and reflect on the darkness of the crucifixion when we have the light of the resurrection? And yet, what we see in Scripture is the two always go together. We talk about Jesus being the lamb who was slain, and in Revelation, it is that lamb who is on the throne that reigns eternal. On Easter Sunday, we're gonna celebrate three baptisms. And the imagery of baptism is dying with Christ as you go into the water. And as you come out being raised to new life, death and resurrection go together. And so on Good Friday, we gather to remember, to reflect, to consider what Jesus' death means, the price that was paid, our part in the story. As one song words it so well, it was our sins that held him there. And so we gather to engage with the story today, and then tomorrow is called Holy Saturday. It's a quiet day in Scripture. It's the day when Christ is at work in ways we can only begin to imagine. Not a day of absence. It is a day of the holy, doing the work of the holy for our benefit, which leads to Resurrection Sunday. And so we're here to remember the narrative of Good Friday. We're reading through the story today. I want to challenge us to reflect on part of that story today. Now, occasionally, I'll be in a conversation with someone discussing a topic, and the person will make a passing comment that just seems to summarize the whole spirit of the conversation. Maybe you've experienced something like that before, too. And in our journey to the cross... We come to the last hours leading up to the crucifixion when Pilate is meeting with Jesus and he asks a question that unwittingly is the crux of the Eastern narrative in many ways. Pilate asks the question, are you the king of the Jews? Are you a king? Now, we're not sure from the Gospel of John why Pilate asked this question, but in the Gospel of Luke, we find the explanation where we read in Luke chapter, where we read in Luke, then the whole assembly rose and led him off to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, 
We found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar. And he claims to be Messiah, a king. And it was for this claim that Jesus had been brought before Pilate by the religious leaders, claiming blasphemy. And they'd opposed Jesus all along, threatened by his teaching and claims, and they had no control or power over him. They wanted him out of the way, and so they finally find a way and bring Jesus to Pilate, claiming Jesus was here to undermine Caesar by not paying taxes and claiming the title of king, a political title that would be a threat not just to Caesar, but to Pilate, who was the governor of Judea. So Pilate asks his question, are you the king of the Jews? We're not quite sure how Pilate means that question to be taken when we read it. We don't hear his expression, we don't see his face, we don't hear his nuance in wording it. Is he asking in a mocking and condescending tone, do you really think that you of all people could be a king? Look at you. Or is Pilate asking a more reflective question? Do you consider yourself to be a king? Or is Pilate aware of the stories of Jesus and is wondering who is this man? Could he truly be a king? And it's interesting that Pilate does not outright dismiss this claim of Jesus being a king. Instead, he questions it. Could even say he explores it. I believe on some level he doubts it. And yet, he has this conversation. This conversation in which the question is asked. But Jesus doesn't answer the question directly, at least not yet. Instead, he asked Pilate, is this your own idea or did someone tell you about me? In other words, are you really asking from your own or are you just asking because somebody told you to? Pilate pushes back. What have you done? And Jesus then acknowledges who he is and proclaims, my kingdom is not of this world. Now, Pilate is so focused on the king issue and says, you are a king. But he misses the fact that Jesus just claimed something far greater than any earthly king, that his kingdom was not of this world, but beyond it. But for Pilate, it's enough that Jesus is a king. However, human language is just so limiting and the title of king is so small, too small to contain the fullness of what it means when we hear that Jesus is a king. On earth, people earn the title of king by privilege or force. However, as king, Jesus' mission is not ruling our nation or being a political figurehead. His mission is not domination or subjugation. We're told his mission is truth-telling. Jesus is the word from the beginning, born into the world to be king over all, so truth could be spoken. And so if Jesus is our king, it means we listen, obey, and follow the truth that he speaks. 
Jesus speaks truth. More accurately, Jesus is truth. He is the truth, the way, and the life. And Jesus' mission is not to take over the world, but to create a kingdom of those who can hear the truth, who can believe the truth, who live the truth. This is why, no one, why there was no battle to protect Jesus. And what there was, he put a stop to. This is why Jesus' death will trump earthly power. Because the truth, the truth, Jesus, the truth, is greater than any power in this world. Pilate ends up having Jesus flogged. The soldiers bring a crown of thorns for this would-be king and put it on his head. They give him a purple robe and mocked him, claiming, Hail the king of the Jews! not knowing the depth of truth behind those very words. They could care less about another criminal being crucified. Where Pilate provided discourse and engagement, they showed disregard and disdain. The scene in the Gospels with Pilate draws towards his conclusion. Pilate wants to set him free and sees no guilt in this man. And then he declares something interesting. He says, here is your king to the Jews. Here is your king. What an annoyingly profound statement by Pilate. But the crowds have rejected the one they welcomed with hope only days earlier. They want nothing to do with him anymore. He's not what they thought he would be. And so they cry, crucify him. And the chief priests proclaim they have no king but Caesar. This is not just a rejection of Jesus. Because for the Jews, there's only one true king, and that is God. And here they proclaim they have no king but Caesar. And with that, Jesus is sentenced to death. And in this series of conversations, we see various responses to this man so labeled the king of the Jews. And the question for each of us is, how do we respond to this claim that Jesus is the king of the Jews? Do we respond like Pilate? Unsure about what to make of this man, trying to figure things out, but skeptical, doubting perhaps thinking that he may be a good man who isn't guilty, but not willing to see the kingship is not connected with a nation, but with eternity. So do we come to Jesus on Good Friday asking questions, trying to understand? Or do we respond like the Jewish leaders, self-certain that we know what is best and true and what is right and wanting everything our way so we can maintain control and power of our own life? Holding Jesus at bay because to yield to him as king means losing all power and control that we have ourselves. We desire to keep him away from us. They made their choice. And they turned their back not just on Jesus, but on the very God who led their people out of Egypt, the very God who brought them to the promised land, the very God who created them. 
declaring they have no king but Caesar. Or perhaps we respond like the crowds, having welcomed Jesus into our life and realized this is not what we expected. Where we expected maybe success and glory, power and influence, blessings and splendor. Instead, we find a call to sacrifice and struggle, oppression and heartache in this world because Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. Or maybe some of us respond like the soldiers. We just see this whole Jesus thing as a joke. Maybe we come to church with someone or we're watching online with someone because they asked us to and we're being polite. But really, we mock Jesus with our words or even how we live our lives. We don't want to stop and think about who this Jesus really is because we just don't care about anything beyond what we know. We don't care about anything beyond ourselves. Or finally, do we respond with the clarity of the sign over Jesus' head as he is crucified? As he hangs and suffers, do we declare this is Jesus our king? Do we recognize in this very act of the world rejecting Jesus as a king on human's turn, terms, Jesus' reign as king over all is solidified as his death is made certain. His throne is a cross. His crown is one of thorns. His power not one of earthly military, but the very power that would go on to defeat death and eventually ascend to heaven where he reigns as the king of glory. As we look at this story, we each respond in some way to Pilate's statement, here is your king. There's no avoiding a response. Do you accept Jesus as your king? Or do you proclaim something or someone else as your king? There's really no in between. There's no halfway. Either you accept Jesus as a king and join his kingdom that is not a part of this world or you reject him as king and let something else reign on your life. But what is not negotiable is that Jesus is a king. It is not relative to your view or mine. Pilate himself became the unknowing prophet when in preparing Jesus for his crucifixion, he affixed that sign to the cross on which Jesus is crucified, saying, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. What was meant to be mocking and belittling by many, what was meant to make an example to others, instead makes a statement that despite whatever is done, by whoever does it, Jesus is overall and always will be the king. Amen.